Our first reading this morning comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah, the 25th chapter. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The palace of aliens is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a refuge to the poor, a refuge to the needy and their distress, a shelter from the rainstorm and a shade from the heat. When the blast of the ruthless was like a winter rainstorm, the noise of aliens like heat in a dry place, you subdued the heat with the shade of clouds. The song of the ruthless was stilled. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over the nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us join now together and read responsibly, whole verse by whole verse, the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. The Lord makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. You restore my soul, O Lord, and guide me along right pathways for your namesake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup is running over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. second reading comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, the fourth chapter. I urge Eudoia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, 
whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel this morning, according to St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe and said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. People of God, we join me now for a word of prayer. Clothe us again, good and gracious God, with the promise of our baptism. That in these waters we may know forgiveness. In these waters we may know love. And in these waters we may know resurrection. Bring us up from that place to go into the streets to tell everyone of your goodness, of your mercy, and of your love that all may come to your final wedding banquet. Lead us and guide us to do these things by your spirit and by the word which you have poured out into us, that in all things we may be your body raised up for the world. All these things and all the things of our hearts we lift before you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praying and preparing to preach each week oftentimes brings me an encounter with something so appropriate for the way that the Holy Scriptures meet us in this particular time and place that the Spirit demands it to be proclaimed. 
for me to condense or summarize it in my own words would do the spirit a disservice and to neglect it entirely would do the same. And so today I invite you to hear the gospel as it was proclaimed to me by Ekaputra Tupamahu, an assistant professor of New Testament at Portland Seminary and George Fox University. In a commentary on our reading from Philippians chapter 4, Tupamahu writes, Partisan politics. When one thinks about American politics, that's what comes to mind. As the election draws closer, the partisan politics intensify each and every day. We've built walls of defense between one another and sent arrows of offense flying around social media. The presidential debate between President Donald Trump and former Vice President Joseph Biden at the end of September was more debacle than debate. A national embarrassment, a vivid reflection of an already deeply divided country. People in the United States are inhabiting two different worlds, watching two different news cycles, hearing different radio talk shows, reading different newspapers. Echo chamber discussions with like-minded people are our main mode of political engagement. There's a serious lack of respectful dialogue between people with different views, different opinions, different ways of life. The whole country seems to be divided into two camps. The liberal versus the conservative, Republicans versus Democrats, the urban versus the rural, the South versus the North, and so on. The consequence of the partisan politics is clear. People are ready to put party loyalty above humanity, above morality, above common good, above justice and mercy, above human decency and dignity. That we find it more acceptable that over 200,000 fellow humans in this country alone have died from COVID-19 than to cross political lines to find the best way out of this problem, we have hit a new low. People and politicians have seemed to have forgotten that this virus is nonpartisan. It affects us all regardless of political allegiance. So it is no surprise that America has become one of the countries most afflicted and afflicted by this virus. In the Philippian church, the alleged conflict between Syntyche and Eudoia seems to have bothered Paul. We do not know the exact nature of this conflict. Maybe there is no conflict at all, just different views, different positions. Difference is a fact of life. Perhaps if we were to ask Syntyche and Eudoia, they might have told a different story than the one that Paul narrates. Paul's is a one-sided story. Nonetheless, what Paul said about them, or rather to them, is worth pondering in our own socio-political climate today. I urge Eudoia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. 
in spite of their differences. Paul has encouraged them to be of the same mind in the Lord. But what does that mean? The Greek expression is literally translated as, I encourage you to think the same thing. But what is this thing that he encourages them to think? The next verses give us a good hint. Paul describes both of them as being people who have struggled together beside him and others like him in the work of the gospel. Here, Paul is reminding Syntyche and Eudoia that of course they have differences, but that it is also important to remember their togetherness, their collectiveness, what they have in common. Their differences should neither hinder them from the working together for the common good Three times Paul uses compound words that speak of togetherness or unity. Help. Struggled. Co-workers. This sense of togetherness is a way of life rather than a system of thought. It refers to an attitude that welcomes and works with others. It is no surprise, therefore, that when Paul speaks of rejoicing or gentleness in verses 4 and 5, he uses a plural expression of doing these things together. The word rejoice in verse 4, for instance, refers to a collective rejoicing, a communal feeling of gladness. We can gather from the immediately preceding context that the idea of rejoicing here must have something to do with the issue between Syntyche and Eudoia, with Paul's reminder that they were his fellow fighters. So rejoicing in this text refers not to a personal state of being, but to a communal atmosphere of joyfully embracing difference. Instead of turning difference into an ugly, exclusionary fight, differences are to be welcomed in a joyful way. That being said, different voices in a community should not be reduced to one voice. Paul's instruction to think the same thing can easily become a discourse discouraging differing thoughts or voices. But such a force can only be disconstructed from within the text itself. Paul says, I urge Eudoia and I urge Syntyche. The repetition of this verb to urge or encourage isn't grammatically necessary at all. He could have just said, I urge Eudoia and Syntyche. Although the repetition is not grammatically necessary, it is a rhetorical strategy to maintain and to display in a vivid way the particularity of each person. This text, therefore, is not so much about unity as it is about dialogical togetherness, interconnected collectivity. Let me circle back around to American partisan politics. Politics is a messy business because people have different opinions, different ways of thinking, and so on. We do not need a false form of unity in which differences are disavowed or erased. What we need is to move beyond partisan politics and work together for the common good. 
fighting the spread of COVID-19, for instance, should not be a partisan issue. Can we all be co-fighters and co-workers in this unprecedented time in history when the virus had spread to every corner of the world like wildfire? Can we set aside our partisan loyalty and see our response to the virus as a common fight for the future of humanity? What Tukumahu offers is nothing short of the kingdom of God reigning in and among us. As a people, we quickly pledge loyalty to party above humanity, above morality, above common good, justice, mercy, decency, and dignity. Such a devotion is a disgrace to our baptismal covenant and a refusal of God's work of resurrection in us through the Holy Spirit. Rather than kicking others out of the kingdom because their politics don't line up with ours, struggle with your co-workers in Christ to be of one mind. Not a mindless, cookie-cutter community who all think in the exact same way, but a people who have within them the same goal, the same focus, the same concerns, and the same mission to love God with our entire being and to love our neighbor by sharing the gospel hope of resurrection in our worship, in our service, and through an invitation to join us as God's beloved people. Stand firm in the Lord who grants us the same mind and the same goal as was in Christ Jesus to struggle beside one another in the work of the gospel, rejoicing in the promise of the kingdom, Striving for that which is true, honorable, just, pure, pleasing, commendable, and praiseworthy of our Lord and our Savior. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in the risen Christ Jesus. Amen.